grace. What a powerful song this morning. How great is your love. The song speaks about your, the substitutionary atonement that you substituted for us. Like that song says, we deserve everything that was coming to us because of our sin. But yet because of your mercy and your grace, you took our place. And for that, we're grateful. Whatever might come our way, we know that that event 2,000 years ago actually happened. It was real. You took our place. You're our substitute. And you covered all of our sin, past, present, and future, so that we could have eternal life to come, life now on earth, fellowship with you, fellowship with your people who believe the same things, and boldness to preach your truth so that others can experience the same. And we know that you have more to save before you come back, not desiring that anyone perish, but have eternal life. We want to be a part of that amazing plan. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, who's sick of COVID? Three people are sick of COVID. Everybody else likes it. Awesome. It's wonderful. (laughs) Who's tired of COVID? Yeah, everybody is. All right, well, we're believing that the people who have it at home and uh, are going to be healed quickly. And we just want to remember them in prayer and pray for them. It's important that we pray for our brothers and sisters that uh, when they're going through trials of many kinds, that we encourage them to have joy, knowing that that trial will perfect their faith. Amen? All right. Well, turn to Acts 8. It's going to be probably a year before we're ending this thing landing the plane, but it's going to be good. I know I've been personally enjoying my study. I know you guys have been enjoying just going through the book of Acts together. You know, Israel throughout the years, he's the Israel, the nation Israel was God's plan to be a blessing to the nations. He actually spoke that in Genesis 12. He gave this promise to Abraham that you will be a blessing to many nations Of course, you know that promise was fulfilled in Jesus. When Jesus came to earth, he was going to be a blessing to many nations, not just the nation of Israel, although that would be first, and they come first, that the Gentiles, you and me, together here, right now we're grafted in to God's plan. But nonetheless, we are a part of God's plan. But you know that throughout the ages, Israel failed, and they failed miserably, and being a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles, right? They're interchangeable in the Bible. Many times you see that. And we know that nations don't just mean the uh, border lines, so to speak, or the countries, but they are people groups. They're ethnic groups. They, there's way more than 200 of them. There's thousands. In fact, I just read that there's 700 languages now that have been translated so that they can have their own Bible in their lap. 
This is just in 2020, and there's still more to go. That's about 80%, so we're about 20% more. So if you want to get a job, go to Wycliffe right here down south here in Orlando near the airport, get a job, and go to work. Uh, (laughs) But there's still more work to be done. In fact, Isaiah 42.6, this is God's plan. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. Israel was never meant to be a reservoir. We all know what happens in Florida or Texas or the South when, when you have small little lakes. They're dangerous to go into in the summertime. There's nowhere for the water to go. In fact, many scientists say that people actually die because they go into this water in the summertime. They get what is called an amoeba, and it goes up their nostril into their brain and kills them. I know it's interesting to talk about on Sunday morning. But, you know, oftentimes if the church becomes a reservoir, they become stagnant. They become like the Dead Sea in which all the life would kind of flow into the Dead Sea, but it has nowhere to flow out. There's no, there's, there's no way for the water to get out to other places to stay healthy. And churches who begin to experience God his, in his life, they, if they keep it to themselves, they become a reservoir and become dangerous and they become no longer that light that they're meant to be. And so Israel failed in two ways. The two ways that Israel failed, and we can fail in the same way, is they were prejudiced towards other nations. In other words, they kept it to themselves. How do I know that? It's easy. Jonah. (laughs) The story of Jonah 4, verse 1 to 3. But Nineveh's repentance, speaking of, greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said a while while I was in still in my own country, therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, the opposite direction of Nineveh, for I knew that you are gracious and compassionate. That's a crazy prayer. <laughs> Slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, this is who God is, and who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life, just kill me, for death is better to me than life. He'd rather die than see God move in a nation that was not like him. So they failed. Number two is that they compromised because they, were, it, they became a syncretic uh, religious community. They mixed, they were idolatrous. They, 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 they mixed the true religion of Israel, Christianity, so to speak. It wasn't Christianity then, but you understand what I'm saying. And then they also mixed all the idols from other nations. And so really what you can say is they failed in two ways. They didn't want to actually reach people. They were selfish. And also, number two, is they could not reach people because they were idolatrous. I mean, it doesn't take much to... Bring that back home here in a way that the reason why we're reaching out to Tampa and also to Washington, D.C., and eventually the nations when they open up the borders, the reason why we're going is because we 
like Paul, are compelled to go, and we actually are qualified to go. And when we have those two, when we have both of those working, we become that true light that Jesus talks about, the salt and light. Because if we lose our saltiness, we become nothing. We become just, just throw it away. It becomes useless. And we don't want to be a useless church in the end times. And the only way that we become a useless church in these times is when we don't want to reach people and we are disqualified to reach people. When we begin to lose our saltiness and our love for other people. So why you should right now leave and go sign up for Tampa, which I'd be fine if everyone just left the church and just signed up for Tampa. Just do it on your phone, but not now. Don't be distracted. But... But I would say I would rather you just sign up now and, and, and be there because the vision is always reaching people who don't know him. And there are people right now in Tampa that don't know him. There are people certainly in D.C. that do not know him and the nations. And, you know, you might be thinking, well, I'll wait till the borders open, and then I'll spend my money. Well, this is the vision now. This is the now vision this is what God has called all of us to do now. And the reason why we go is not because we're Antioch, not because we're Antioch Orlando even specifically. It's because Jesus Christ himself said, go. Go and make, what? Disciples of all nations, of all different kinds of people. And you might be thinking, well, I don't want to spend the money just to go 100 miles away. But this is what God has called us to He's called us to go. He's called us to be a family. He's called us to love one another. And what I love about even going to Tampa and even just as it, even getting practical is it's going to be, if you've been to Canterbury, just right down the street here, it's just one big old camp. In fact, the people that own the place are not even going to be there. Uh, we get the whole place to ourselves. We just got to drop the keys off uh, at the drop box and leave. So we get this whole entire compound to ourselves to enjoy. And if you're worried about COVID, it's outside and, and, and the trees don't have COVID. And, and so we, we can all be outside together and not worry and keep our distance. And then go on to USF, I want to say UCF, USF campus and UT campus and go share the gospel. So there's something for everybody. Families, there's also a spot that we've scouted out that are great for families to walk around. It's kind of like a uh, Waterford Lakes in, in a way, or Oviedo in the park, kind of like that, and where families can go and share the gospel and um, just to, to train your... I, we've brought our kids on every mission trip. Um, we've never regretted it financially or even just our time and just the inconveniences of it. God has done tremendous things by bringing your family, and I don't think we've ever, ever regretted one trip we've ever gone on. It's, it does, it's a reference point. If you're new, too, the great thing is if you're new, you'll have a reference point. And sometimes when you come into the church, you don't really know people, but then these become the catalytic times where people get to really know one another and just don't have the constraints of work and schedules and stuff because we feed you, we feed you really well. And uh, it's incredible. It's just an incredible time, both in the outreach dynamic and also in 
the time with family and then, of course, reconnecting with the Father. Because I know with, through the busyness and everything, we, we have time built in to connect with God. And perhaps he might be speaking something about your marriage or maybe speaking something about your parenting or speaking something about your school or whatever it might be or your work. And you wouldn't be able to have that in your quiet time because you're usually busy and got to go. And this is an extended time. Does that make sense? All right. Awesome. Don't be a reservoir. Okay, so God, just to get back to our story, what God did was because Israel failed, it's like a little commercial, now back to the programming. So because Israel failed, uh, they, God began to uh, use another tool called the church. In the time of Jesus, when he came, he said something interesting to Peter in Matthew 16, 18. He says, upon this rock, Peter, upon the rock of truth that you said, I am the son of God, the Messiah who will build the church. Upon that truth, Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't be able to even prevail against it. Nothing will stop it, not even persecution, not even death. In fact, that helps my church grow. (laughs) And so God raised up the church and you see that in the book of Acts and Acts 2. It was, it was sort of birthed in, in that sense. God's all, the mysteries, as Paul talks about, this was the mystery, the church. We are the church. This mystery is coming into realization. And so Pentecost Sunday, it was birthed. They began to reach Jews. And then they went to the surrounding towns in Judea, Judea Samaria. And now we're realizing now that the gospel is now going to the nations. And in this case, the continent of Africa. And because of this Ethiopian eunuch, the whole continent of Africa knows Jesus even today. What's incredible is you never know who you're sharing with. You never know that person, what they will become. That person could be the next missionary that reaches thousands. You never know who God is preparing because you're not God. He is. And we never know what is happening behind the scenes, but we just know that We need to obey God's plan to go preach the gospel to many nations. So there are three elements. We're going to get right into this. So fasten the seatbelts. We're going to go. Uh, Three different elements of of God's plan. Preparation. God's gospel, gospel presentation through us, through his people, and their faith response. All those things come together for the new birth in a person. It all has to happen. Last week, unfortunately, we, we talked about the false conversion of Simon, and that does happen. But today, we're going to say part two, basically the true convert. What does it actually mean to be saved? It's so important to know that. And that, you know, what we said, what our promise in this church is we want to let the scriptures speak for themselves. We want to make sure that every passage that we go through, it, let it speak for itself. And what we mean by that, we're not going to twist the scriptures here to make it mean what we want it to mean. Our promise is saying, hey, look, whatever the text says, that's what it is. That's what it means. We want to come up with the, not come up with the meaning. In other words, I'm looking into this and have all these preconceived ideas of the text, but I look at it and say, what does the text say and bring it to the modern reader rather than the other way around. All right, so number one, God prepares the heart sovereignly. 
Okay, so we're going to talk about if there's a pendulum that swings, right? On one side, there's, you know, God's sovereignty. and the other side, human responsibility, it, it works together. And how many know that with pendulums and with balance, a lot of times it only lasts for about 15 seconds in the middle before it's swinging to the other side? Not even 15 seconds. <laughs> Doesn't, very rarely are churches perfectly balanced, although we want to be with word and spirit, sovereignty and human responsibility. You get it. But with the first part, we'll, do, we'll, we'll spend a lot more time on this one because it's important to see how God orchestrated all these amazing events, and you can see that in your own life. All right, so number one, God prepares the heart sovereignly. In verse 25, it says, So then when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem. This is the apostles. And they were preaching the gospel to many villages and Samaritans, which, of the Samaritans. And so that, that prejudice was starting to fade. They realized, oh, God does have a plan for other people, not just for Israel, but for the nations. Jesus' words were coming true. He did say, you're going to preach the gospel to all nations, and it was happening. Verse 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And so God works in the person's heart sovereignly to prepare them for salvation. It always, salvation originates, listen, it originates in God's heart, not in the human heart. Humans don't just wake up all of a sudden and say, oh, I just want to be saved today. I recognize I'm a sinner. It doesn't just happen like that. God is moving. So if you do have a crazy thought like that, you know that God put it in there. He put that inside a person. Now, listen, also, he says this, though. There is a balance. In Ecclesiastes, he, he does say that in the human heart, there is eternity, and there's always an ache for something more than what maybe the earth is offering us, the world is offering us. But in Acts 13, 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and all who had been appointed, keyword to eternal life believed. So if God appoints a somebody to be saved, you better believe they're going to be saved. Romans 8, 29, those who he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Yes, God does predestine. It's not just some sort of knowing like he knows everything, but there is a place where he does in his sovereignty flip the switch so the person can be saved. That's what happens. And we weren't gonna go all through that, but just know that that's what the Bible preaches, not just John Calvin. The Bible preaches this long before the 1500s. Ephesians 1, 3 to 7 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. That is his will for every Christian. That is his sovereign will. In love, listen, in love, not in hatred, but in love, he predestined us to adoptions as son, sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory, of his grace, which, with which he favored us in the beloved. 
In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings, according to the riches of his grace. Isn't that amazing? Salvation starts with God. It starts with his plan. Second part of that, by God's grace alone, he saves us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one would boast. Second Thessalonians 2.13 says, We should always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in truth. You see that? By the Spirit and faith in the truth. There is a partnership that happens between God's Spirit and in our human spirit. I don't understand how all that works. I, I don't think it's for us to explain every nuance and every detail, but just know that God is actively involved in salvation. That's why we don't have to use gimmicks. That's why we don't have to juggle flaming poodles to try to get people to come to church to figure out, oh, hey, we're attractive, we're cool, we're awesome. We don't have to have the smoke machines to try to grab people's attention I don't have to try to wow you with all my stories and all these different ways or video clips from the movies. I don't have to try to get your attention because we know that God saves people. He's the one that does it. And as you'll see in a little bit, that we do still need to share the gospel boldly. And the person needs to respond. So Titus 1.1 to those, I, the, the New Testament saints, they totally understood that the people of God, Christians, were the chosen ones, right? Second, I'll say this first. Second Timothy first, we'll do that before Titus. Second Timothy 2.10, for this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they may, may attain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with eternal glory. Titus 1.1, to those who are chosen of God and the knowledge of truth, which is according to godliness. Peter understood the same thing. 1 Peter 1.1 says, to those who reside as strangers who are scattered throughout those regions who are chosen, and then he starts his letter. We're called saints. We're called believers. We're called chosen ones. We are incapable, second part, we're incapable of grasping God's salvation on our own efforts. There's gonna be a lot of scripture, by the way, just so you know. There, we're incapable of grasping God's salvation in our own human efforts. I think that's helpful for me because even last, last week we talked about, does that cause me to worship to know that everything revolves around my response? It's hard for me to worship. And by the way, I won't have any confidence living at a, as an 18-year-old knowing that if God's will for me to live to all the way to in my 80s or more, I realize that's a, long, that's a long time. That's 60 plus years that I have to try to keep myself saved. <laughs> I can't do that. Just as easy as it was for me to just say some prayer and just to say, okay, God, yes, I, I, believe, I prayed this prayer and I'm in. It is, is so easy to just talk myself out of it. 
if it's not God's sovereignty and you don't know that it is truly his sovereignty and you don't see the miracle of salvation, then you're gonna spend the rest of your life trying to save yourself or keep yourself saved. But the Bible says that once saved, always saved. Because if he starts it, he will complete it. Philippians 1, 16. Ephesians 2, 1, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead men don't believe. They simply don't believe. I've shared with you many times the same illustration probably over and over, but it's worth even repeating now because it's, it's helpful to see where there's a pastor one time sitting next to a skeleton like a full-blown skeleton on stage, and he's talking to him. Hey, you need to believe. You need to repent. You need to help. You need to help your brother and sister. You need to give money, all this stuff. And, and he's like, don't you respond? What's wrong with you? And you realize he's dead. They can't respond. It's almost like in Ezekiel 37, the prophet saw the dry bones, the valley of dry bones, And unless God not only just puts the the bones together, the physical parts, the muscles, all those different things, but then he has to what? Blow his spirit inside those bodies. Without, with apart from the spirit of God, nobody can be saved because dead men cannot respond to the things of God. It's impossible. John 6, 44, if you weren't convinced with that, no one can come to me unless the father who sent him draws or who sent me draws him. In other words, there's a partnership. If you are a believer today, it's because the Father drew you to Jesus. That's a scary thought and a profound thought and a very comforting thought, depending on where you are spiritually. 1 Corinthians 2.14, a natural man, rebellious and sinful man apart from God, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. 1 Corinthians one twenty three. we preach Christ crucified to Jews, a stumbling block, and to Gentiles, foolishness. You know, it, it will always sound dumb to people who are dead. When we're out on the streets, whether it's the pub, you know, if some of you guys went to the pub on Friday night, which was great, continue to go and preach the gospel. I heard we, we actually, a cop uh, told us to leave, <laughs> uh, our church to leave, and because uh, we needed a permit for to hand out hot dogs and whatnot, and that's, that's fine. I mean, we just, if the worst case scenario, we don't hand out hot dogs and we'll still preach the gospel, but the point is, is when I remember even being there too in line, and you're talking to different people, and to some people, it's interesting they were open to it to some degree and they realized, man, maybe they're in the wrong spot and not in the right line, getting, wanting to get drunk and waste their life. And then some people were just totally hardened by it and just said, get out of here. I mean, just leave. Leave me alone. Don't bother me. This message sounds foolish to those who are perishing. What I love about this is, while you can could, could get discouraged when you're actually sharing the gospel, but the Bible encourages you because it's coming alive before your eyes. And for those people that never share the gospel, you'll never see parts of the scripture come alive. You simply won't. And the reason why it, it, you, you, get, you just get this crazy boldness when you're out there and you're doing it because you literally get to see these passages come alive before your eyes. 
and those people who are just rejecting you, you, you don't have to try harder to get them to be saved because you realize there's a spiritual element above and beyond your ability to save. It, it puts you at peace, right? When, you're in, when you go to Tampa or Washington, D.C. or wherever you go, you know that, hey, all I'm doing is my job. I'm simply just God's vessel. Let God do the work. Perhaps he hasn't prepared them yet. We should never just say, oh, that's it. They're done. They're, they're perishing forever. Now, I think you should tell them about that if you, don't per- if you don't believe you will perish, don't be afraid of telling them about hell because God could use that. I don't think he always uses that technique, but that is the gospel. A book called Purpose Driven Life came out uh, not that long ago. Uh, by a very famous author, is about 387 pages long, and you won't find the gospel once in it. And fortunately, there are so many authors and people that will write these books, and they won't have the gospel in it, like the true gospel. All it says in one part, just to kind of get you into the book, it's almost like a ticket into the rest of his book, Hey, just believe in Jesus. And once you believe in Jesus, you're saved. That's not the gospel. You might be thinking, well, what is the gospel? You have to tell people about their sin and depravity and that they're heading towards a place called hell. And apart from the grace of God, everyone perishes. That it, 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 isn't, it is not up to you to decide whether you believe or not. It is God opening up your heart and realizing how much you've offended God. It's actually feeling those things. It's like, oh, I don't want anyone to feel those things. Well, if they never feel those things, they're not saved. They have to feel the depths of their depravity before they see the depths of God's love. They have to see the darkness right? First, that is the backdrop with the light. It's a black backdrop, one candle, not the other way around. We have to see the depths of our depravity, that we are lost. We are dead in our sins. We are children of wrath. And then God in his mercy comes in and wants to woo you to himself because he loves you. And it's only because he loves you and only because of his grace, not a ticket in to the greater things like your purpose. It's a false gospel. Just throw the book away if you have it. Because you cannot twist all the scriptures and use 1,800 different Bible translations to try to get your point across. That is a false teacher and a false gospel, frankly. We'll move on. Satan and his demons are actively involved in keeping men from finding God's truth. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says, If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Then it says in Matthew 13, 19, The birds snatch away from the fallen men the truth of the gospel, This is what it says. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown into their heart. Guys, it is crazy to think under those circumstances that you can save yourself. It's impossible. Why do you think after the rich young ruler, the conversation with Jesus, he says something really interesting. 
the disciples, it's impossible. I, I mean, it, it's, I mean, I don't, who, who can be saved? The whole world's going to perish, Jesus. Who, who can possibly know you? Who could possibly even have life? Oh, but what is impossible with man is possible with God. God comes back into first place. Again, <laughs> Philip was submitted to the leading of the Spirit of God. And that's, I want to be snatched up too. I want to I be just moseying about my business because the word go means as you go in, in Matthew 28. You're just going about your business. I mean, yes, you should consciously think, oh, I want to be used by you, and I think that's important. But as you walk in the power of the Spirit, which means as you walk in the power of the Word every day, you'll, sense, you'll be sensitive to the prompting of the Spirit to lead you to the unsaved because God's always saving. And I want to be used by Him. He wants to use His people. And so Philip was ready to go. The Spirit strategically moved Philip in the right position. Have you ever been in the right place at the right time with somebody, whether it's on an airplane or maybe at the pub or wherever. I mean, just the right place, the right. But you're, okay, so what you're gonna do is your mind's gonna go to this. It didn't work out, but that's not the point. The point is you were in the right place at the right time and God used you and you always think success as far as they responded or didn't respond. That's not success. Success is obedience, non-obedience. That's what success is in evangelism is obedience. That's ultimately, God will never judge you. He will never say, I'm not going to let you into my kingdom because your quota should have been 200 salvations and you only got 199, bud. Sorry, all of eternity. (laughs) That's really messed up. But he will say, depart from me, the workers of iniquity. Those who practice sin all the time and disobey show themselves not to be saved even though you do religious works. That's, where you might get a no at the doors of the kingdom. It's about obedience. Now, obedience can't save you. (laughs) Verse 26 is really interesting. I love this because you see something really interesting about the heart of God here, which I, how many know that when you, when you search the scriptures at a deeper level than to just a glance, you just really, you've mined the heart of God. You mine his love. And it says here, but an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now there was two roads, you have to know, that were leading towards that region. Now a couple of things with this that's really important. The, that this word actually uh, noon or, or, or I'm sorry, south means noon. They, you can translate that. If you look into the original languages, you can actually translate south, meaning noon. He went south, although that is the right direction, but it is a deserted, two things. It's a deserted road in the middle of the day. God really loves someone. He's wanting someone to be saved, and it's, inconvenience, it's inconveniencing the evangelist. How many know there's always an inconvenience? It is. Like when you're on the airplane, you just want to be quiet. You do. I don't know about you, but I just, I don't know if it's the nerves of traveling. I don't know what it is, but it's just like, I don't want to talk to a soul. 
And then God says, he nudges you, talk to that person. No. What if it lasts the whole plane ride? <laughs> what if the, <laughs> all sorts of, what if they have bad breath? What if they're sick? What if they have COVID? You know, I don't know. But it's always an inconvenience. I mean, the time's going to the pub. I mean, to one in the morning is not really, inco- not really convenient, right? I mean, you want to go to bed or whatever the case might be. You're going for a walk and he says, hey, talk to that neighbor. No, not that neighbor. If it was another neighbor, I would have been totally fine. Whatever it might be, it is inconvenient. But watch this. God, in his mercy and his love, told this person to go in the road less traveled and in the middle of the day in a desert to go reach this person. I I love that. I love God's heart in that. If we miss that when we're evangelizing, I think one, it takes the fun out, which is the weakest argument, but two, we might miss, we might miss a glorious salvation. There's also a prerequisite that Philip also needed to be a vessel that was clean, holy, and used by him. Now look, God could use, I mean, he spoke through a donkey, right? We know that. Uh, he, he spoke through evil men and women throughout history, uh, and he used them. But that's not an excuse. Oh, I could live an unholy life and then just do whatever I want, but yet still be used by God. That's not the thinking. But 2 Timothy 2.20 and 21 says, Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. This man was willing, and he was holy, and God wanted to use him. He wasn't trying to be a reservoir. He wasn't trying to, Philip was an evangelist. He was always, he was just perfectly fine reaching the Samaritans, but God said, no, I want you to reach this people group because I, ha- I want the continent of Africa to be saved. <laughs> it's a big continent. It's the biggest one we got because of one man's obedience. Amazing. Robert McShane One of the greatest preachers says, in great measure, according to the purity and perfections of the instrument will be the success. It is not great talents God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful or an awesome weapon in the hand of God. May that be said of all of us. It's not about our talents. It's not about, oh, I'm not an evangelist. doesn't matter. That won't fly as an excuse in the ears of God. We just say, yes, Lord. Yeah, that's fine. I don't know what you're going to do with this. I can't save a soul. I can't save myself. But I simply want to reach this person and talk to them about the Lord, whether I'm the man who sows the seed or waters the plant. God gives the growth. He does. Next part is, if you're following along, I suppose this is C, but the, and first... (laughs) First point is God's sovereignty, the hungry eunuch. God does work through hungry people always. If the person is not hungry, you can't do anything with that person per se. But God sovereignly worked through his heart. 
I love this that, you know, at the time, right now, I'll just give you a little bit of the background. Candace just meant uh, Pharaoh, or uh, she was a queen, but it was, it, was, uh, it was another word for Caesar or Pharaoh. She was top dog. In fact, the kings at the time, uh, they didn't care, which is kind of interesting, they didn't care about leading. So they would uh, neglect their du- duties of, of leading because they were kind of equated with the sun gods. They were, they were uh, equated with sort of the, uh, the, the, the highest form of, of godliness, I guess, if you can say. So, they, so the, the women would lead. So the queens would lead. They would be the, kind of the, the mother, the queen mothers, a queen mother of, of their country. And so this person, the eunuch, had an, an extraordinary position. It was kind of like the uh, treasury the, that we have today in our country, very important, had a huge entourage. So there was a lot of people here. It wasn't just the eunuch kind of with a, on a horse going back to Africa. There was, a, in fact, he probably got so far and then took the Nile back home. But some say that he just had a massive entourage. And so there was a lot of people here, which actually brings more out of the text when you think about it in a moment here. But they were also something interesting about, again, God's heart in this was that he was, uh, he was on his way. He was hungry. He was on his way to Jerusalem to worship during the time of Pentecost. So he was hungry. I mean, it was a long journey from Ethiopia. Look on a map one time and just see how far that is to Israel. And he made this whole trip to Jerusalem because he wanted to know the true God. There was a hunger in his heart and God was already moving through him. But the other interesting thing is in Deuteronomy 23, one, eunuchs, if, I'm not gonna go into all the biology of eunuchs today, but some of you know what that means. They were unable to participate in the fullness of worship. They weren't, ac- they weren't get a- the inner access to worship. In other words, they could never be a proselyte. Later on, you'll see with the Gentiles, they could worship in the synagogues and whatnot, but they could never actually go into the temple. There was a rejection already in his heart. And he was wondering, will anybody in Jerusalem show me salvation? There was an ache in his heart. He was still empty, even with his highest position. Guys, there are very high-powered men and women that we might run into that are very influential. Unfortunately, churches look look at them as a way to, oh, we'll have more influence. No, they're human beings with a soul. How many, I've heard this multiple times, right? Where you just... People are, oh, we, we got we to gotta go after that guy. He's super influential, so we placate to him because they, they might bring more money and more people into our churches. That's sin to think that way. What God was looking at it, he was looking at a different angle. He was saying, this man who is power, high power, he was a high-powered elite person that, you know, with their, high, with, with their kind of position, they got to be careful who they walk around with. They got to be careful of their position. There's a lot of nuances with people that have that kind of power. And God's saying they're empty and lonely and they need salvation. Who's going to talk to them with the right heart? They're people. And they ultimately want to be treated that way, right? Not just to be used for their power and our agenda. And then there's man's responsibility. 
Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me. And when you search for me with all your heart, you'll be saved. You'll be saved. And, he, and God's about to open this man's heart and save him. John 7, 17, if anyone is willing to do his will, he will know about the teaching, whether it is God or I am speaking from myself. In other words, this eunuch was being faithful to the revelation that he already been given. And God said, I'm going to give you more. I'm going to give you more. How many of you guys, maybe that was your story. You got little by little by little by little, and boom, there it is, salvation. God's faithful. And he does, I'm not just saying God's faithful just because we're faithful. He's faithful no matter if we're faithful or not, but he, but he wants us to be faithful with the revelation given to us. And when we are, our heart begins to open up to receive the truth. God uses his word, and never apart from it, the eunuch was reading none other than Isaiah 53. I love it. While the Jews were totally blinded in Jerusalem, this African was open to Isaiah 53 and was wondering, what does this mean? What does this mean? We'll read on. It says here, verse 28, and he was returning and sitting in the chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And I thought, I love this. I think that he loved Isaiah. And listen to this. For a eunuch, this is pretty important news. Isaiah 56, three and five says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will certainly separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant. To them, I will give my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better Then that of the sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name, which will not be eliminated. What grace. Amazing. He's like, I like Isaiah. This is a great book. You know, it's pretty impossible for a man like him to actually have a scroll. You know, many, they didn't have printing presses. Their Bible was the Old Testament. And to get Something like this for a, for a really for a Gentile to have his hands on a scroll like this was near impossible, but in God's sovereignty, he got it and he began to read it on his way home. God's attributes can be discerned, of course, through natural revelation, or I'm sorry, general revelation through creation. But how many know that salvation only comes not through the moon and stars, but through his book? That's the only way. John 5, 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is these that bear witness of me. Now, it's not enough just to read the words. You have to know the meaning of it in order to be saved. John four forty six. if you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote of me. Luke 24, I love this one. Luke 24, 25 to 27, oh foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with the the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. The whole Bible points to Jesus. You should never be bored. I mean, Caleb's going through the Old Testament and, and he's getting bogged down in the Exodus and Leviticus and 
you know, he's going through, and I said, well, make sure you get the New Testament along with the Old. And it could be bogged down with it, but know that those Old Testament scriptures point to Jesus. Even the law, you know, John Calvin said the law was meant to beat a child over the back for disobeying. The law was always meant to show you your sin, but once you're saved, it turns into, it turns into a cane to guide you in this life. The law is good, always good. It's good for both conviction and guidance. It is. So, but we need to know that only in Christ that we can live it out. And so don't get bogged down if you're going through the Old Testament because know that it points to Jesus and our need for him. Don't skip over the harshness of the law, realizing that you need that more than you think. Also, Romans 10, 12 to 15 says, whoever will call in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him who they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? There's a linear progression here, just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. It is impossible for someone to be saved apart from the word of God. No one in the jungle of Indonesia can look up at the moon and say, oh, but there's a creator in the earth and he saved me and I have eternal life. There's no such thing. That's why it's important. Worldwide missions and evangelization is important for all of us to be involved in. The question is, how are you going to be involved in it? All right, so now that we have all that sovereignty out of the way, God preparing, we're going to look at the clear presentation of the gospel in verse 29. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up into his chariot, which by the way, was not a small feat for him because it was moving and he had a lot of people around him protecting him. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? I could just see him there. He's like, do you understand what you're reading? Understand. <laughs> as they're like moving, you know. Anyways, I like to think about those things as, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? <laughs> and he said, well, as he's yell, they're yelling to each other, of course, well, how could I unless somebody guides me? <laughs> and he invited Philip up into, to sit with him. Now the, this passage he was reading, and he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent. Now we're all reading this because we know the answer. But try to erase your mind and just read this. That's all you have. And you don't have the fullness of the gospel. You've never met Jesus. You've never heard of him. So he does not open his mouth in humiliation. His judgment was taken away. Who will relate his, his generation for his life is removed from the earth. That's all he got. I said, like, what does this actually mean? What does this mean? And I love the boldness. You know, Philip, how many know that there's no way that you're going to go up to this entourage, waltz right into this person's caravan and his little chariot without being filled with the Spirit? We need to be filled with the Spirit. The reason why we in a way, we back down in 
uh, and we don't have fortitude, we don't have courage, we back down and we're sometimes, you know, in, in a sense, scared or we're fearful or, and given to uh, being cowardly. And all of us have done that, including myself, we've all done that, is because we have to remind ourselves of Acts 4.31, when they prayed, the place where they had gathered together, this will happen in Tampa, or anytime we gather, was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God, listen, with boldness. Philip was a man who was filled in the spirit. He didn't just be like, oh, I want a cool testimony. Let me out of my own strength. How many of you guys tried that and it didn't work? Oh, this is going to be a good testimony. If you start out with that, that is so selfish. Now, God will save that person because he loves that person. Even in the, you know, Paul talked about that. I mean, even if they don't have the right motives, as long as Christ is being preached, no big deal. That's not a really big deal. How many know when you're filled with the Spirit, you can do all things? You can. It's incredible the, just, the, just being filled with the Spirit, what you can do. You, it's like you're oblivious of even the fear that you might have. Philip wasn't thinking, what if, what if, what if, what if? He was just thinking, if he was thinking anything, what if, what if this man gets saved? The whole African continent could know Jesus. He was Bible-centered, the eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? What a great question. It was a t-ball. I mean, it's like if Philip just said, I got to go back home. My wife said she's cooking dinner. I got to go back to Caesarea. It's going to take me a while to get there. That would have been the most foolish thing on the planet. But some of us just miss it. We miss it. It's like right there. Like there's going to be someone saying, you know, this is happening in my family and I'm struggling here. It's a boom, just, it's a, it's a segue. It's a segue in. And you gotta, it's a smooth segue. And also I love that Philip was listening to the person. He wasn't saying, hey, you know, John 3.16 says, I was talking about Philip. I was talking about Isaiah. I was talking about Isaiah, Philip. What are you talking about? How do you, what, how do, what does this passage mean? Answer their question. What, are the, what is their question? What are they asking? Get underneath it. Underneath the surface of their question. It's important. Be knowledgeable enough in the Bible, guys, to know how to make a segue to an Old Testament passage to a new. You know, and sadly, oddly enough, but we're not. One of the things I describe uh, as I'm writing a book, Can We Trust the Bible? Finally finished the manuscript, praise the Lord. Uh, it's going to come out within a week or so. But, the, but, I, but I think that one of the things that I said, you know, we talk about biblical illiteracy all the time. Biblical illiterate, biblical illiterate. I was thinking about that. I was like, why does everybody talk about biblical illiteracy? Biblical illiteracy, what does that even mean? It means you just can't read the Bible. I don't think it's a matter if you can't read the Bible. It's illiterate. You can read the Bible, but you don't want to. You don't want to. I think what we have today is an illiterate problem. We have a whole church that simply doesn't want to read the Bible or reads very little of it. Man, I'll tell you, I want to be used by God in those moments where I can seal the deal and I could be his man. I want God to be like, I can trust that guy. He just read Isaiah 53 yesterday and studied it. I got something for him today. You see what I'm saying? 
I want to be someone who's ready, prepared, ready to go. 1 Peter 3.15, be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks us to give an account for the hope that is in us. People want to know that hope. Why do you have a smile? You are the only person in this office that has a smile. Why? Oh, I just drink coffee. That's probably not the reason. Especially in COVID. I mean, this is easy. This is like T-balling up easy Time to share the gospel now more than ever. God's like, I just made a mess of the world right now and I've caused people to wonder and my people are still not getting it. Why? <laughs> what I love about this, I'm just gonna rattle a few off. Jesus always met people where they were at. John 3 talks about Jesus and Nicodemus. He met Nicodemus where he was at. He used the scriptures too. He used Ezekiel 36. John 4, also the woman at the well, he used scriptures. He, used, he met her where she was at as far as that discrepancy between where they needed to worship as far as Samaritans versus the Jews. Mark Gerizim, there was this discrepancy. Jesus met her right where she was at with multiple husbands and her religious question about worship. We've got to answer people's questions. 1 Corinthians 9.22, Paul says, to the weak I became weak, that I might gain the weak. I, became, I have become all things to all people so that I might by all means save some. That is important too, that we become all things to all people. That doesn't mean that we become, okay, this is, this is such a simplistic illustration, but it's not that, oh, we've all graduated from UCF and we're UCF guys and we go to USF and we're, I can't love those people because, come on, give me a break. But it, what, I'm not saying that we become bull fans or something. That's too simplistic. What it means is just throw all your sporting stuff away, and if you have to talk to the person, become like them in a way that you might win them. If you're like, I'm just like a passion, but, but you know, but I'm, a, I'm just like, I grew up in a family that's all really passionate about sports, and they just gave me this as an inheritance, and I just, I can't help it. Well, help it. Because they're lost and they need to be saved and you can just not go there for five minutes. Now, I know that has even more implications. Perhaps you grew up in, in racism or whatever it might be and you're like, I don't know about those kind of people. They've hurt my family in the past and I can't go to India or I can't go to this place. I can't reach this person. But you become all things to all men so that you might win them. There is a, an order of hierarchy, and the top one is what? Sacrifice. Lay your life down. Consider others before yourselves. Philippians 2. Guys, I, I mean, we've died a long time ago. We're like, I don't, I, I don't like my boss, and so I just have to tell, I have to, I'm going to try to save him and have my own technique God's saying that will never work. It'll never work. It's got to work on his terms. And so you don't compromise in any area of sin to win them. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying that you compromise in a way of your own ways, your own uh, ideas, so that you might win them. Sacrifice, lay it down. In Acts 7, Phil, uh, I'm sorry, Stephen 
in his sermon, used the Old Testament scriptures to point to Jesus. In Acts 18, 24, now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man came to Ephesus and was proficient in the scriptures. God used this person because he was a man who studied the word. It's important to study the word. All right, there's a few more things left. I'm sorry here. Okay, um, I'll just say this, that it, it, while it is important to use your testimony, I think sometimes we have a hierarchy too. We've got to use our testimony, use our testimony, use our testimony, because that will ultimately open the door. No, 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 no. You've banked on your testimony then, not the word of God. You've got to bank on the word first. That's the bottom foundation. I'm standing on the word and he'll use my testimony. It's not, oh, this will open up the doors, my testimony, and then somehow I'll kind of get the word in. Nobody, listen, gets saved apart from the word of God. We have to let that sink deep in. People might be, oh, you're so religious. I'm not religious. The word saves you. (laughs) Right? I mean, you can say it a different way. Um, But Romans 1.16, the gospel, which has been presented in the scriptures, is the power of God unto salvation. It's not just the gospel. Sometimes we're like, the gospel message. Only it's like, it's almost like we just cut the gospel out of our Bible and go, this is the gospel and this is the Bible. The gospel is in the Bible. It's in the Bible. You can't remove it. It's one of the same. In fact, all the Bible points to the gospel. You can't get away from it (laughs) at all. All right. Number two, point C. (laughs) Okay? Christ-centered. We have to eventually get to Jesus. We have to get to him. And it is important because we've got to present the evidence. So Philip basically said, here's the word, Isaiah 53. I'm answering your question, showing you that this actually points to Jesus and he already came in the flesh to die for your sins. And if you believe in him, you too will be saved. You know, I wonder if perhaps some people reject Jesus because he's not been presented clear enough. I wonder if people are like, hmm, that didn't work, but because maybe your presentation didn't work. Now, again, you're like, well, what about God's sovereignty? So you don't just use God's sovereignty because you made a mess of your presentation. That doesn't work that way, by the way. It works together. You got to know your stuff and he's got to be working in them. And you don't get to try to figure out the percentages of that in the moment. <laughs> Romans ten seventeen, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. Why is it not the word of God or the word, the Bible in there? Because they've got to eventually hear Christ. They've got to eventually hear Jesus. You've got to eventually open your mouth up, not just say God, but Jesus. It's amazing how the conversation changes quickly for the good or the bad. Biden says God, but I doubt he's a Christian. He put his hand on the Bible, assuming that somehow he's religious, coming in out of a church even on Sunday morning. I doubt that he's saved. Now, who am I ultimately? I want him saved. 
but understand that everybody uses God these days. Hindus do. Muslim does. Jehovah's Witnesses do. The cults that are pseudo-Christianity does. Oprah Winfrey does. But they're lost. They're lost. The gospel has to be accurate in a person's life in order for it to work and be, for them to be saved. So, all right, last but not least, the third point is Philip's response. He had faith. What did he say here? Verse 36. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, now how many know that the Bible does leave certain things out? They can't write every single thing down. We wouldn't have books to contain it, as John says. So there are some things, but we know that he took them. He says, he says he pointed them. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from his, the scriptures, he preached Jesus to him. So we know the gospel got preached. And then he said, hey, look, there's water. I mean, I'm sure there wasn't a lot of water in the desert where they were going, but they came to some sort of water and they said, hey, I want to be baptized And it wasn't alone. This was a public baptism. How do we know that Philip ultimately was really saved? Because he had to go before his whole entourage and say, I believe in this Jesus. Who knows? The whole entourage could have gotten saved. They could have come back to Queen and said, the mother, (laughs) hey, we not only came back, we came back with this Jesus And the whole continent of Africa began to be saved, which is incredible. Look, what prevents me to be baptized? And now this isn't in the original manuscripts, verse 37, but although we could easily come up with, I mean, they they probably did this because this is in other scriptures in, in the Bible. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, You may, and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then, you know, it says in Acts 2, 38, Peter said to them, repent each one of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Or Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, we read this earlier, that Jesus Christ, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. In other words, even though that wasn't in the original manuscripts, understand if you're ever confused by that, that was in other passages that speak that you cannot be saved apart from confession. So number one, he had to have faith and he had genuine faith, so much faith that he was willing to be baptized in front of all his friends, his posse. Number two is that he confessed Jesus is Lord. And he ordered the chariot to stop and they both went down to the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at the Azotus and he passed through and kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea, back to his home. We, don't, we pick up with Philip and his family and his three daughters who were prophetesses and they were in Acts 21, I think in verse 8. So that's the last time we hear of him, but he did his job. He did his job. And uh, I know that I would love to be teleported one day. It'd be amazing. (laughs) 
be cool to be at MCO and somehow, boom, I'm in Japan. It's like, how did that happen, Lord? That would be amazing. I would love that. It surely be cheaper, um, a lot cheaper <laughs> on our whole church. <laughs> so start praying that in, that God would do that. Snatch us all up. We'd be in the news for that. Uh, that'd be great. Um, but just bypass customs. Just totally bypass. And try to, on your way back, God transports you there, but somehow he doesn't transport you back, and you realize you have a problem at customs. And you're like, the Lord transported me here. <laughs> I don't think that would work. You'd, you'd go to jail. So, <laughs> but you'd preach the gospel in jail, and, and somehow, you know, earthquake would happen, and you'd get out and transport it back home, and that's, the, I mean, you read all this in the Bible, by the way. It's all in there somewhere. But his response was one of faith, and his response was one of confession, and his response was one of joy. And here's what I love about this, that it looks more like Matthew 13, the good soil and producing fruit. How many know that when Philip left, the joy remained? Joy remained. That is a sign of salvation. You know, as you look back at your life as a Christian, you have to wonder, did the joy remain? You know, it's easy for you to be in a service where there's music and you know, come down to the altar and just continue one after another after another illustrations, try to get you to come and be saved. And then afterwards, you go home and weeks and weeks later, the joy doesn't remain anymore. It's probably a sure sign that maybe perhaps something didn't go right. But you know, the sign of a believer, I could rattle off at least 20 verses here. I'm not. But at least 20 verses here that the mark of a true believer is joy. It's joy. Do you have that this morning? Do you have joy in the midst of all your circumstances, knowing that the Holy Spirit is truly inside you? Luke doesn't give us anything more on the Ethiopian eunuch. We're going to close here. I don't know if Ricky wants to come up. We'll, we'll close here. But, you know, they, uh, one of the early church fathers, Irenaeus, he uh, was a missionary supposedly to the Ethiopians, which is pretty cool, actually. He died around 200 AD. And, you know, it wasn't, it's not clear all that had happened, but we can definitely see that the whole continent was saved or the beginning workings of that continent being saved from north to south, all the way to South Africa, which is so cool to see that just by one person's obedience, that something like that could happen. And I want to challenge you this week to, to think that way, to think, wow, what if I just say yes to the prompting and the nudge of the Holy Spirit, not getting involved in anywhere in God's sovereignty, knowing that he's doing his thing, but the only thing I need to concern myself now is sensing the nudge to go simply share the gospel message and the word of God with somebody. And just watch what he does. You know, I'm, I'm not overwhelmed if all of a sudden, you know, God blows up our church and we get all of a sudden all these different converts and these different disciples and I would be thrilled, that would be wonderful. But I'm, I'm not here to coerce anybody to be saved. I'm not tr- I don't have in mind a number. I'm not trying to speak to a certain amount of people or we're trying to do something. It just, simply, we just want to be obedient until Jesus comes back. And I can do that. At the end of the day, I can do that. 
just say, I can barely do that, by the way, but I can do that, right? I, I don't have to worry about that person's salvation or are they going to make it for the long haul? Or are they going to do all that? I just have to concern myself with being obedient to the prompting, right? Can we all do that? We could all do that. That's easy. And once, if we're tuned in, we're tapped in and we're walking with the spirit every day and we're in his word, we can do that. And we can trust him to do whatever he wants to do, grow it, shrink it, whatever he wants to do with our church. Of course, we don't want to push anyone away and we don't want to control people whether to stay or to leave. But we trust God and his sovereignty and we trust him to, to do what he's going to do. So really, what I want to leave you with this morning is, is that God's sovereignty prepares people's hearts long before we ever get there. And two, we partner with God in the salvation of his people. And when people truly get saved, they will have faith. They will confess clearly the gospel message. They'll want to be baptized in front of many and they will have long lasting joy and fruit. Amen? All right. So why don't we do this? Why don't we just pray? Why don't we stand to our feet and pray for those who have COVID and that this disease would be eradicated and that God would use it for his glory. I'll be in DC this week with a team of about 11 people on this Thursday, Friday. You can pray for that, that God would move powerfully as we continue to, a lot of the Antioch movement will be there. Places from all over the country will come in and will worship in what is called David's tent worship 24 hours. So some of these guys will be worshiping Thursday night through the wee hours of the morning. Uh, some people will get the three to five shift. Some people will get the one to three shift. That won't be me, hopefully. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll play, I'll play the, the tambourine or something three in the morning. <laughs> Go to bed. 